This episode is brought to you by Esperion, the lipid management company, singularly focused on helping the millions of patients taking statin therapy who still need additional LDLC lowering. Learn more at Esperion.com. From the American College of Cardiology, this is Dr. Kim Eagle, ACC.org Editor-in-Chief, with this week's Eagle's Eye View. This is your weekly cardiovascular update from ACC.org. I'm recording this podcast on August 26, 2019. Today I've chosen three articles that are being published and released today in JAK. One looks at the use of anticoagulation after surgical or transcatheter bioprosthetic aortic valve replacement. One looks at the effect of alirucumab on cardiovascular events in patients who've had a prior coronary bypass operation. And the last one is a paper looking at the natriuretic peptide response and outcomes in chronic heart failure in patients with reduced ejection fraction. So let's get started. The first article is a paper looking at the effect of anticoagulation following bioprosthetic valve replacement, or TAVR. And of course, this is a big question mark. We've seen evidence of subvalvular thrombosis and postoperative stroke, both with TAVR and surgical replacement. And there's really a conundrum about what we should do, antiplatelet therapy, warfarin, what type of therapy should we provide? So this is a pooled analysis looking at patients who had either surgical or transcatheter bioprosthetic valves from both a partner to randomized trial and affiliated non-randomized registries. And the authors assessed uh, the echocardiogram parameters at 30 days and one year after AVR. And they used linear regression and appropriate risk assessment to look at the impact of anticoagulation on valve hemodynamics and clinical outcomes. So there were over 4,800 patients in the study. About 3,000 had transcatheter and just less than 1,000 had surgical aortic valve replacement. And there was no difference in the aortic mean gradient or valve area between patients discharged on anticoagulation versus no anticoagulation at 30 days. Among the patients who were not discharged on anticoagulants, there was a more than 10 millimeter increase, significant increase in the aortic mean valve gradient between the 30-day interval and the one-year mark compared to patients who were on oral anticoagulants, the absolute percentage 2.3% versus 1.1%. However, there was no association between anticoagulation use and one-year mortality. Patients who'd undergone surgical AVR did have fewer strokes when discharged with an anticoagulation versus no anticoagulation, and this was not seen in the group having TAVR. So the authors concluded that in the short term, following TAVR or SAVR with bioprosthetic valves, Anticoagulation did not affect aortic valve hemodynamics, but was associated with a decreased rate of stroke following surgical aortic valve replacement. In terms of perspective, one important point of this is that these patients were on vitamin K antagonists. And so this is important. The direct oral anticoagulants were not part of it. Also, this particular study only looked at at the balloon expandable sapien valves, and so cannot be extrapolated to other types of valves, including the self-expanding. Certainly, I guess the take-home message here is that there was not a large effect on hemodynamic performance of the valves, and that for surgical replacement, we should at least consider short-term anticoagulation as perhaps being associated with a lower rate of stroke, particularly in patients who have no elevated bleeding risk from taking uh, something like warfarin for, say, three months. 
All right, let's move on then, and let's look at a substudy. This is a pre-specified substudy that was part of Odyssey. And the question was, what was the benefit of alirucumab, this is a PCSK9 inhibitor, on top of statins in patients with an ACS who were enrolled in the Odyssey Outcomes trial and looking at those who'd had prior coronary bypass surgery? Remember Odyssey, over 18,000 patients who were 1 to 12 months after ACS who had elevated atherogenic lipoprotein levels despite high-intensity statins were randomized to alirucumab or placebo, subcutaneous, every two weeks. The median follow-up was nearly three years. The primary endpoint was major adverse cardiac events, and this include cardiovascular death, non-fatal MI, ischemic stroke, or unstable angina. All-cause death was also a secondary endpoint. And this study looked at patients who had a cabbage, which was roughly 1,000 before randomization and about 1,000 after randomization versus no cabbage, which was about 17,000 patients. Remember in Odyssey, again, almost 19,000 patients, mean age was 60 years. Patients who had a cabbage were significantly higher risk. They were more likely to be older. They were less often female. They had greater ASCVD risk and risk factors like hypertension, diabetes. They were also less likely to be on beta blockers and less likely to be on high-intensity statins. They had a higher mean baseline LDL, and their MACE rate out at nearly three years was higher. It was about 30% compared to patients who had not had a prior cabbage where it was in the range of 7 to 10%. Patients with prior cabbage did have higher rates of both primary and secondary events, which persisted. And alirucumab reduced MACE in this group. So the hazard ratio was 0.85, so a 15% risk reduction. But because the risk was higher in the cabbage patients, the absolute benefit was higher. So the number needed to treat in the prior cabbage patients was just 16, compared to about 100 in the patients who had not had a cabbage. The authors concluded that in patients with ACS, who had elevated atherogenic lipoproteins despite high-intensity statins, who were given alirucumab and had a prior cabbage, the absolute benefit was much more significant because they are at higher risk. And clearly, I think this reflects the fact that cabbage patients have a higher burden of risk factors, they have more advanced ASCVD, and they benefit more from this combined therapy of PCSK9 plus a statin therapy. Okay, let's move then to the final article, which is an interesting paper looking at potentially the value of measuring natriuretic peptide response and outcomes in chronic heart failure. So this was an analysis of the GUIDED study. Study participants were patients who had heart failure with reduced ejection fraction. There were 638 patients. They were alive at 90 days, and they had NT, pro BNP measures done, uh, and then they were followed for cardiovascular death, all-cause mortality, and the Kansas City questionnaire about uh, lifestyle. So 31% of participants in this study had achieved a NT pro-BNP level less than 1,000 picograms per ml by 90 days. These were considered responders compared to the patients who did not receive this level of biomarker. Responders were younger. They were more often female. They were less symptomatic. They had a higher prevalence of non-ischemic cardiomyopathy. They had lower baseline NT pro-BNP levels. They had a shorter duration of heart failure, fewer comorbid conditions. The presence of a lower 
NT-proBNP level, that is less than 1,000 picograms per mL at 90 days, was associated with a longer freedom from heart failure hospitalization, the combination of hospitalization and death, and all-cause mortality. 90-day NT-proBNP levels were associated with better quality of life measures as well. So the authors concluded among patients with HEFREF, the achievement of an NT-proBNP level less than 1,000 picograms per mL at 90 days represented a significant benchmark in identifying patients who would do well and have lower rates of death, poor quality of life, and hospitalization. Now, this is observational. So clearly, we would need a prospective study to test this hypothesis, but potentially the notion would be that in patients who don't achieve a three-month anti-pro-BNP level less than 1,000, that we might consider advancing therapy, that this is a group of patients where further adjustment of medications, according to the biomarker, might add benefit. Of course, this has to be tested in a randomized trial. But I think it's an important study, and it starts to get asked questions about how do we use biomarkers chronically to adjust therapy in patients with heart failure and reduced ejection fraction. Well, I want to thank you for listening to Eagle's Eye View. This is your weekly cardiovascular update from acc.org, and you can find this on the website. We have an educational catalog feature on acc.org. That's under the Education and Meetings tab. Uh, Using this tool, you can sort our educational offerings by various formats, and many of these, of course, are free. Find us online or wherever you get your podcasts. And I appreciate the chance to bring this podcast to you every week, and I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you for listening.